We're going to continue our series through the seven deadly follies. The title of the series is A Fight for Joy. So I would encourage you with this before we even get started that this uh, is not a series in which we wallow in recognition of our follies. Okay, We're going to identify some things. I know that as I've walked through uh, Proverbs chapter 14, verse 30, and other scriptures on envy, I've seen these things myself. I've seen it in my community. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. But the focus of this series is not to wallow in our follies, but rather to fight for joy as we seek to confront the patterns of sin that work their way so very often in our lives, and to confront those patterns of sin with wisdom and grace of God. Now, we're going to look to Proverbs because they give us instruction and they give us counsel. We're going to look at the Proverbs together. To return to the Word, we have to learn to trust the Lord with all of our hearts, lean not on our own understanding, but in all of our ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make our paths straight. Now, I know you're familiar with that because you heard Justin preach on that just a couple weeks ago. And something I appreciated as I listened in on him is he was clear that it's not as we are instructed, as we receive counsel and wisdom from God's word, we discover how to walk in straight paths. Not that we straighten our paths as we are properly instructed, but rather it is as we trust in the Lord that he makes our paths straight. So as we enter into this passage this morning, considering envy, let us trust in the Lord and trust that he's good and his disposition toward us is that of grace and transformation. Envy. Envy is an enemy of contentment, joy, and trust in the Lord. Envy is an act of the will. It's a desire, right? The desire that gives birth to an act of the will to still steal the good of another. It's the heart of a thief. But the only true victim of envy's theft is one's own happiness. We consider that. Envy longs to take from another, but in so doing, that joy and contentment that the envious heart might have had is that which is robbed. We're going to work our way through a number of passages this, this morning, but the center of our time is going to be Proverbs chapter 14, verse 30. And my understanding is the practice here is that we would stand for the reading of God's Word. So I encourage you to stand together. It's a short passage, but let's hear it well. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 30. A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. God, we ask your blessing over your word. We pray that we would hear it for what it is. And in these moments, you would work by your word and your spirit, grace, kindness, even conviction of sin in the next moments together. But we trust you for this. As we trust in your way, would you make our paths straight? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Envy, in our passage this morning, if you look at it with me, you can see that it has a tangible, ailing effect on the body of the person who is consumed by envy. You can see it, but envy makes the bones rot. 
That's not a statement of the mind or of the heart. That is a statement of the body. The effect of envy is a body and soul crushing ailment. It's literally consumed, causing rock to the bone. So this morning, we are going to seek life. Life for the body and the mind and the heart and the soul by being instructed by the word and it's wisdom for us. What we're going to do is we're going to spend time in a number of scriptures. I'm going to do my best to describe envy to you from the Word. We're going to look at a number of scriptures. And, and honestly, by the time we're done with this, you might be like, okay, can we talk about something else? Because I'm finding too much of me in here. It's okay. We will hear God's grace. But for now, let's consi- consider a couple definitions of envy. This is a, one of the definitions I found was to be jealous or to bear ill will. Ill will. That's an interesting one. It's an act of the will. It is to bear ill will toward another. Galatians chapter 5 verse 26 puts it this way. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Envy begins by thinking too much of ourselves. As we think on ourselves, we begin to bear ill will toward others. We become consumed by self and therefore bear ill will. Another way to put it is to begin to begrudge another. Think on that one. That's a good one. It sounds kind of worth to begrudge another person. To begrudge or to have what the scriptures call an evil eye. Matthew chapter 6 verses 22 and 23 say this. The eye is the lamp of the body. Matthew 6. So, if the eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. You hear that? The the, the health of the body, a body whose bones are not rotten. But if your eye is bad, now that's an interesting word. If your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? You can hear that bad eye or evil eye, that phrase, your eye is bad, is literally an evil eye. Elsewhere, that word is also translated envious. A bad eye or an evil eye or an envious eye is an eye that lacks generosity toward others, but is begrudging and stingy. Rather than being disposed to generosity toward others, when you see another's prosperity, you're disposed to want to grasp their prosperity, whatever form that prosperity may have, grasp that prosperity and hold it for yourself. So you can see that an evil eye is not only inwardly evil, it's not just a disposition of the heart or a desire, it's a disposition of the will that can so easily become an external behavior. Let's consider a number of the ways that Envy plays itself out. Is not the thief probably beginning with a heart of greed? Yes. But also of envy. Sees the prosperity of another and wants to reach out and grab it, consume it for themselves. See, envy stands behind these bodily acts. Let's begin by considering the envy of another's good. Okay? A couple examples of things you might envy. You've probably thought of them already. You can envy another person's wealth or their possessions, okay? You can consider some possessions, some physical happening that someone else has, and you want it. But you can also envy a person's talents, 
You know what that's like too, right? Or you could envy another person's achievements. Yes, they have a talent, but they not not only have the talent, they also achieve great things with that talent, things that you know you could never achieve, and you envy it. But you also know that envy can be not only of things or achievements, but also of relationships. How often do we see the friendship that two people have? And not only would you like that friendship, but you would like that friendship with that particular person. And so you're not only envious of relationship, you're envious of reputation. Many things that we could envy. At Crosspoint, we often talk about the contribution of our time, talent, and treasure. It's one of the ways, one of the little phrases that we use quite often. So you can see that envy sees another person's time, their talent, or their treasure, and begrudges them this good. What good things, what good time, talent, and treasure do others have that you have begrudged them instead of the desire to see the Lord worshipped by their contribution of their time, their talent, and their treasure that the Lord has given to them to be leveraged for the glory of God? What do you want? You want to leverage that time, talent, and treasure that another has for your glory. You want to consume it. You want to possess it. You see? To envy is not just to begrudge another person's good. It winds up being to begrudge the worship of the Lord in the life of another. This is probably the grossest thing about envy. What the Lord has provided as a good for another. What the Lord has provided that another would leverage for their joy and his glory the envious person wants to steal. That which God has provided which is good, the envious person calls evil. My friends, there's something gross about that, that our hearts are so inclined to see what God has called good and generously provided and call it evil. To see another good, to call it not good, but rather that which ought to belong to you and therefore is in a wrongful possession and therefore evil, And so through envious schemes, we strive to take possession of those things for ourselves. Our desires begin to rot the way of our body. There's many forms of envy takes. We can also envy another's generosity. When the master of the vineyard pays all those who labor for him the same salary... Though only a few of the laborers labor during the course of the whole day. There's a few, as Jesus tells the story, who came in at the end of the day. And they only worked but an hour of the day's labor. And yet the master of the vineyard overflows in generosity to all who were there that day and pays them all the generous same salary. Here's how Jesus puts it. When those who worked all day and received a generous salary begin, salary begin to complain about the way that those who worked only a part of the day received the same generous salary, the master says, Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Now, where's he going? Or, do you begrudge my generosity? Do you hear that? What are they begrudging? Are they begrudging the the wealth? No. They're begrudging the generosity. 
of the master and owner of the vineyard. So the last will be first, and the first last, Jesus says. The master is provided for all according to his promise, but the envious person begrudges the master's generosity. And instead of the tranquility and peace that gives life to the body, for all those who worked in that vineyard that day, he sees the master's generosity to the laborers who arrived at the end of the day, and their bones rot within them. They can't even receive the generous salary from the master with joy, but rather their bones rot with envy. Could he not turn, for those who labored all day, not turn and be thankful when they see that they not only have fellow laborers who receive generosity, but my goodness, they get to work for a generous master. Is there no joy in working for a generous master, even if you're not the particular one who received the abundance of generosity that others received that day? What a good gift. To work for generous master. Envy is not. It, it, envy is connected. You can see very easily to greed, right? One might even say that envy is born of greed—a lack of satisfaction with what is provided, an inability to see that what has been provided is actually good. This is true of most of the seven deadly follies. They're connected to other follies. They're connected in almost in some sort of wicked chain. For instance, gluttony and lust. Are they not both connected at some level of desire? James Stalker, a commentary that I found really helpful uh, as I studied envy, he says that envy is at times the sin of the strong. Alright? That is, those who have prospered can become, so they're strong in their prosperity, they can begin to, by envy, not be satisfied with their prosperity, but can be consumed by greed, because there's somebody out there who's more prosperous than themselves. So, envy can easily be the sin of the strong. But envy is just as easily, as we spend a moment reflecting on this, envy is also the sin of the weak, because envy can also be the fruit of laziness. Imagine, after hearing of the generosity of the master who paid the laborers who arrived at the end of the day the same amount as they did for those who worked at the beginning of the day and the whole day through, that they decide the next day, they're like, oh, I see how this works. It is nice to work for a generous master. What I'm going to do is I'm going to show up at the end of the day tomorrow. Oh, that's smart, right? You can see the shrewdness of the envious heart. They show up at the end of the day, the next day, and what does the master do? The master is not only generous, he is also just. And he is just to pay them for their hour's wage, is he not? What requirement is there on the master on the second day to be in the same exact way generous? In fact, to... You know, continue to feed the envy of those who, who shrewdly show up late on the second day wouldn't be generous at all. And so the master pays them just the hour that they worked. And you can see how the lazy, the shrewd person would become envious of those who worked a full day's labor and were paid a full wage. That was them yesterday, right? 
And they wanted to be somebody else. And now they're somebody else. And they envy themselves the previous day. You can see how the lazy person might become envious. James Stalker says this, instead of living laborious days, they have expected fortune to drop into their lap and instead of cultivating their minds by burning the midnight oil, they have calculated on winning the prize by genius and cleverness alone. You know what that's like. It's a basic get-rich-quick scheme, isn't it? It's a basic do the minimum and receive the maximum. It's the heart of the envious person. The heart of the envious person looks at the sloth and envies his prosperity. Now, imagine those who labor and prosper might, uh, who labor and prosper, and yet are maligned by those who are lazy and envy their prosperity. They can look in on that, and the one who labors and prospers might say, they wish to have my fortune, but why do they not wish to have my labors? the heart of the envious person to long for what another has even through shrewd means there are many ways to envy how about this one what, would it, what is it like to envy another disciple of Jesus now there's actually many instances of that during the course of the ministry of Jesus among his own disciples now we get some of our more insidious examples of envy here because envy is, in this case, is not to envy another's worldly wealth, but to envy spiritual things. Can you do that? Can you envy spiritual things? Let me give you a few examples. Perhaps you know what it is to envy another's fruitful gospel ministry. I want the ministry that that person has. Maybe I don't even want to labor it for it. Or maybe I do, and I'm just angry that my labor isn't fruitful like his or hers. To envy another's progress as a disciple. To envy another's sanctification. And you say, they seem to have gotten past this. Why not me? Right? Or to envy another's role in Christ's church. They seem to have a spiritual position, a position of spiritual authority in the midst of the congregation, or perhaps even in a, a position or an office in the church, and you're envious. Why is it somebody identified me as a person who should be in that role or in that position? Or to envy another spiritual gifts. They seem to walk with the wisdom. They seem to be able to serve so easily. You become envious of good things. But remember, envy wants to steal what belongs to the Lord and consume it for the self. This is the problem of envying another spiritual gifts and all the fruit of the life that is lived in Christ. It's right there. All that we have, we have how? In Christ. All that we have, we have in Christ. All that is given is therefore given to the glory of whom? Christ. Do you see that? The cause of the gifts of God. The cause and purpose, the meaning, the justification for the purpose of God's gift of spiritual gifts to the disciple is not my glory or advancement. 
And yet the envious person looks at it, wants to steal that which is given for the glory of God, wants to leverage it for the consumption of the self. What we have is not for our great joy in the building up of the church and the advancement of the gospel, but for our own consumption. Here's how Romans chapter 11 verse 36 puts it. For from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever. Again, James Stalker puts it this way. We cannot love the good cause very passionately if we do not welcome every talent consecrated to his service. Now listen to that. Some of you are like, I welcome all the talents he's given me to his service. That's not what it said. Every talent that is consecrated to his service. Do you welcome them? Because those talents belong to others as well. Do you not welcome the gifts, the spiritual progress, the, the, the spiritual gifts, roles, and offices that others play and welcome those as good gifts because they belong to the good of our glorious God. At the heart of envy is to seek to take hold of glory that belongs to Christ and leverage it for the self. But let us also consider that that's not only true between disciples. It's also a corporate problem. A corporate people can envy the fruitfulness, the reputation, the talents, the skills, the offices of another church. And so that's broken. But that's the problem, isn't it? We're broken. We tend to be like that, don't we? Now, most of what we've considered thus far is the envy of what is otherwise generally positive and possessed by another, right? All the way from the possessions, to the skills, to the labor, to the wages, to the spiritual nature of the disciple. All of these are good things that we want to consume from another. But what's interesting is I studied the, the Proverbs and envy. Almost everywhere I found it, I found something different. And that is the envy of the prophet of an evildoer. Now that's an interesting one. There's a, a disastrous strain of envy here. It's the envy that turns to want to emulate out of the perception of, of good progress and good possession, wants to emulate what has caused an evil person to prosper. And so wants to walk in the way of the evildoer. Let me offer a couple examples from Proverbs. Proverbs 3, verse 31. Do not envy a man of violence, and do not choose any of his ways. What are you envying? You're envying the ways of the violent person, for the devious person is an abomination to the Lord. You may have what the, what the evil person has, but you also have the Lord's own displeasure. Do you want that? But the upright are in his confidence. What could you possess as one who works in the ways of the upright? You can possess his confidence. The person is envious of the fruit of violence, but he fails to see that the violent person has no confidence and therefore is opposed by the Lord. What about Proverbs chapter 12, verse 12? Whoever is wicked covets the spoil of evildoers. Whoever is wicked covets 
the spoil of evildoers, but the root of the righteous bears fruit. The envious person only sees worldly spoils, but fails to see righteousness and its eternal reward. You see, what I would argue is, is the person who is envious of the evildoer is narrow-minded. They're not circumspect. They have failed to look around and see the fullness of what is good so that they would actually have their desires kindled if they saw the good of the righteous man because the good of the righteous man is the confidence of the Lord and the fruit of righteousness, the way of our God, and has an eternal reward. What if our desires are too narrow? Proverbs chapter 24, verses 1 and 2. Be not envious of evil men, nor desire to be with them, for their hearts devise violence, and their lips talk of trouble. You see, the envious person desires to become an associate of evil. Why? Because they see evil as being prosperous. They see the thief gaining what? Wealth. They want wealth. So what do they do? Steal. This is easy. It's easy, man. They talk up their plans. They whip up the root of envy and greed. They talk it up together in the collaboration of thieves. It's the thieves of something that the Lord has provided for another. Proverbs chapter 24, verses 19 and 20. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Fret not. Be not envious of the wicked. Don't be afraid and don't want their way. For the evil man has no future. The lamp of the wicked will be put out. You can see they're short-sighted. They're not only narrow-minded, they're short-sighted. The counsel of the Lord is not to be persuaded by evildoers because you perceive that they are prosperous. But there's no future in it. There's no future in the theft of an evildoer. The Lord will put them out. The way of the evildoer is another way one likely doesn't desire evil. That's not what your desire is for. Your desire is for your perceived, your perception, narrow-minded, short-sighted of what is the fruit of evil. So you associate with it. Your bones rot in that envy. You don't see that even if you take possession of that which you envied, it will come to an end. Envy does not wait on the Lord, but grasps what it perceives. And so, envy rots the bones. Again, Proverbs 14.30. A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh. When I ended the, the first, the introductory message to this series, I just shared with the congregation, I'm, I'm tired. Anybody else tired? And the last year and a half has been brutal. My bones ache. Tranquil heart, no. Life to the flesh uh, my body hurts after the last year and a half. You know what I love about this? It, it tells me of a way of life for my body. A contentment and a tranquility that I have not had in the last year. I want to pay attention to this. Envy has a real physical effect on a person. It's not a happy feeling disposition, or experience. One commentator describes envy as it is a grief 
at the pleasure, success, or possession of another. What is envy? Envy is grief. A feeling of loss at good. Do you see it? Who wants that? Who wants grief? Who wants loss? Why so to envy? James Stalker writes, Envy is its own punishment. Envy is displeasure at delight. How does that even make sense? That's how twisted up we are. It's displeasure at delight. Envy does not take any other considerations than another's pleasure, but that it results in their displeasure because it's not their possession. I would offer just one quick clarification before we turn. It's not envy to see another's advancement and be sorrowful in every single case. It is possible to see the advancement of another and be sorrowful if, by that advancement, the society is degraded or such elevation causes the person to be in spiritual danger. Because the circumspect person, the person who has looked around and seen, not narrow-mindedly or short-sightedly, sees this is not good for them. This is supposed prosperity. But Lord, bring humility. Not for my good, so that they're humbled, so I'm advanced. For their good. You see, that's not envy. That's to seek the good of another. Uh, but we're wicked. We'll even turn that to excuse our envy, won't we? Evil finds its envy finds its evil in self-reference. It references the self rather than the glory and wisdom of our Lord. And when we reference ourselves at the center, what do we wind up doing? It's a very similar word. We reverence ourselves. We become self-worshippers with ourselves on the throne. We become our own idol. And pleasure is only taken on self-advancement, which brings us to this. It really brings us smack dab right to confront the gospel. Self-sacrificial love is the opposite of envy. It's one of the things I do every time I consider a folly. What is the opposite of the folly? What does it look like to walk in another way? It's to see another and desire their good, even at personal loss. Envy desires to consume their good for your own gain. Self-sacrificial love desires their good at your own loss. Envy will find its true cure in heaven's joy, because heaven's joy is the result of self-sacrifice of our own God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Consider Christ and the church and a husband and a wife. As Ephesians chapter 5 describes it, a husband's pleasure is found in the joy of another. His joy is found in the pursuit of the joy of another. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 28 says this, In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. So he loves himself. How? How does he love himself? He who loves his wife loves himself. How does he increase his joy? Through self-sacrificial love of another. And he is the opposite of self-sacrificing love. 
Because love seeks the good of another at personal cost and yet counts it what? Joy. Not loss. It's not loss to find the joy of another at cost to self. This is why the gospel is the cure for envy. That God has no cause for envy. Consider the glory of our self-satisfied God. But Jesus faced temptation of all kinds. He even faced temptation to evil. Can imagine with me? Just call to mind Jesus as a child. Was there ever a temptation to question in his heart why his siblings were able to get out of all kinds of chores and all kinds of situations through deceit, through lying? Did he ever wonder, what if I could have what they have in their sin? Was there ever a temptation toward wickedness? But the Lord overcame that temptation by a desire to be satisfied in the Father alone at all times. Could he not have envied their willingness to sin, to covet the way of the wicked, even his own siblings? Could Jesus not have envied all those who went about their daily labor, every day, waking up in the same home, waking up and tilling the same field, as he went homeless, setting his mind and way to Jerusalem, made his way up to Jerusalem where he knew he would die. And as he passed these homes, these fields, did he ever wonder, what if I just settled down for a little while? Was that temptation ever brought to him? Oh, no. But for the joy that was set before him, he not only endured the cross, make no mistake, the cross didn't just come to him. He's like, okay, I guess I'll endure it. He pursued that way in self-sacrificial love. We are freed from envy by a greater joy that's absolutely provided for us. James Stalker offers two ways that we might combat envy. Two ways. The first way is this. Love beauty. Love beauty. Seek the Lord that you would increase your joy in beauty. This means that the one who is now free to love excellence and reward even when it comes to another. You're able to see excellence and see one's advancement and say, man, that's amazing. And the disposition of the heart is to say, that looks like something my God gave as a gift. I love my God. He gives good gifts. To take joy in the way and the generosity of the master. Better yet, love excellence as the fruit of the image and spirit of our God at work in mankind. To love excellence is to love God. And when we see it, we see that looks like the image of my father at work in his creation. And I love the father. I love the way of my God. I love his image in his people. There's a German proverb, and it goes like this. I love the thing that's fine, even when it is not mine. And though it never mine can be, yet it delights and gladdens me. Did you hear? Though it never mine can be, yet it delights and gladdens me. The things I have are not all that I possess. Imagine the increase, imagine with me, the increase of the opportunities for joy for that man. 
a wealth of resources for joy all around him because everywhere he looks, he sees excellence and profit of his neighbors, of his countrymen, of his brothers and sisters in Christ. And he says, that brings me joy. And that image of God at work in a human being brings me joy. That excellence, I'll never be able to do that. But it's amazing. Imagine walking around with resources for your joy and happiness everywhere rather than the thief that is envy being consuming to the soul. Delighting in excellence is excellence's constant reward, constantly being confronted by joy and delight. A delight in another's profit in a manner is a means by which we might actually take possession of what belongs to another. That you can see what belongs to another, a talent, a skill, a prosperity, some way of another's being that is good, and we can take possession of it with joy. That belongs to my happiness. And that happens only in this way. If we receive it with thanksgiving. God, thank you that I even got to see that today. It's really the way that we take possession with joy of anything. We take possession of everything with joy by thanksgiving. Even the good gifts that he gives to ourselves. We're not envious of another, but he gives to me. It becomes joy to my soul when I receive God. Thank you. Thank you for your generosity to me. My whole day's labor or even my less hour and your generous wage. Thank you. We may delight without ownership, but the possession of joy is ours. The second way in which we can combat envy is to count your mercies. And really, friends, I want you to sit in this one more than any of the others. Count your mercies. Rather than comparing yourself to the advancement of another, ought we compare ourselves to those who suffered loss? I mean, give it a try sometime. What did Jesus himself do? Did he compare himself to others and say, wow, I have great glory? In fact, I will consider this glory something to be grasped. The Lord gave himself. He condescended. He considered those who suffered loss. He condescended, dwelt among them, and gave himself in sacrificial love to them. And the Lord did this all while receiving joy, that very joy that was set before him. What a beautiful way is the way of our God. Or let me ask you another question. Do you really want another man's lot? I mean, give it a try. You really want what another person has. I tell you what, let's do this. We're going to enter into an entire global experiment, okay? What we're going to do, we're going to have every single person on the globe throw their name in a hat, okay? And then what we're going to do, we're going to take this giant hat and parade it around the globe. And then what you get to do is you get to reach in that hat, pick out a name, and you get to become that person. Isn't that great? I mean, you envy another's lot, right? You want somebody else's place in the world, don't you? That's rejoiced by not in what the grace and the kindness and the generosity that the Lord has had in his sovereignty to place you right where you are so that he might give you the grace that you need for today. You don't want that. You want another's lot. You still want it. Imagine the names that you could pull 
There's something broken in that. You know what the Lord has provided for you and for the name in that hat? He has provided precisely the grace that is needed for that individual soul. You are not provided very often. Suppose that you pick, you're like the lucky winner of the great global lottery, and you pick the lot of the most wealthy and prosperous and reputable person on the planet. That's your name. Loss for you. You have not been provided the grace to be prosperous. You have not been provided the grace to have that great reputation. Your lot is accompanied with the grace of God for where He has put you. His grace is sufficient today, right where you belong. We can aspire. We can long. We can lay our aspirations and our longings before the Lord and trust Him in the lot that He places before us day after day because the grace that He has given to me today is not the grace that He has afforded me for tomorrow. When I arrive there, it will be sufficient. So what should we do when we end it? Because you're going to. It's not like, okay, I'll do those two things, and I will make my path straight, right? No. What do we do when we end it? I would call you to this. Let our envy direct us to a longing for God. We all have longings that are unfulfilled. May those longings lead us to the hand of God, not the hand of the envious thief. Let those longings lead us to the hand of God and say, God, what is your wisdom for today that I have not yet received the, the fruitfulness of this longing? And I will look at your hand and will wait upon the Lord. You will make straight my paths. Instead of seeking to fulfill that longing by power, possessions, of the world, we can ask the Lord, what of you have I not seen that I am not satisfied today in you? What of you have I not enjoyed? What part of your kingdom do I long to still come that I might look to you and say, come Lord Jesus? What if that's what our envy did? What if our, what if our envy became a plea, Lord, come quickly? What fulfillment have I when I enter heaven that I don't yet have in this earth? What joy do I anticipate when I see your face? Let our envy draw us, listen, to the love of the Father. It became clear to me after uh, preaching this sermon on envy last week at Cross Point Downtown Orlando. It became clear to me that, that there were some in the room that envy is their thing. They've lived a life largely consumed by envy. Brothers and sisters, what I want us to know today is the love of a generous Father. Not just to provide for you, but to provide for you the grace and the love and the kindness, the sufficiency of His condescending sacrifice on the cross to forgive you of that sin. So we don't have to be afraid. We don't even have to be envious of the person who isn't envy. Now that's broken. Remember, right? Oh, but he's good. He's good. And he's loved you well. I want to leave us with this from 1 Peter chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, 
He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Beautiful eulogy. It's one of my favorite uh, bands in the world. And, and they have a song that calls us that the part of our brokenness in the world is that we have not taken hold of the things that the believer, the genuine believer in Jesus Christ is entitled to. Let us recognize what we have been afforded. This is it. This is what the living hope that is before us, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Not only that, it's kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Let us remember that our greatest possession is not the result of our grasping. Our greatest and eternal, enduring, singular possession is a gift. Not the result of anything. Not the result of grasping. A good gift from God, and it's kept for us. Our greatest possession is the gift of salvation. What could we envy in this world that could outstrip or remove or fill up anything that we don't already have in Christ? What result of evildoing is worthy of our envy? What wage of sin does not result in death? But the great gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Heavenly Father, I thank you that we know this, that we have access to your gospel, that even, even the gift of knowing the truth that even confronts us in our sin, we are confronted by the very existence of Jesus, by the very work and way of the Christ. And yet, in that confrontation, in your Spirit's work by your word, among us this morning, we are also confronted by your grace and kindness toward us. That while we were yet sinners, while we were yet wicked, while we were yet evil and envious in our folly, Christ died for us. We thank you that you have loved us well. May we see your grace, love, mercy, provision, and kindness all around us and not be filled up by envy, but by joy. We pray that you would do this in the midst of this people today. We trust you for this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.